Well, today we're going to talk about uh, eating and, and something just as fundamental as eating. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to go through uh, John 3 to get there. So let's look at John chapter 3. We're picking up from uh, two weeks ago. You had Sergeant Dave in here for a couple of weeks, and he did the Memorial Day teaching uh, two week, the last two weeks. So today you'll get something different. But there's this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, and he came to Jesus. Now, what I'm going to do is, is do the first half of this again. I already did it in some de- depth, but now I'm just going to do it looking at two words. The Greek word harao and the Greek word ado. Harao means to see with your eyes. Okay, when I, I'm, I'm looking at something. And ado means to see and understand, as in, oh, oh, I see. That, that kind of I, I, seeing. It's translated in this passage some know or understand. It's also translated see, this ado is. So what I'm going to do is highlight harao, which is see with your eyes, and ado, see with understanding. So this man, verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we ado understand that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. How did he know there were signs? He had been doing miracles. How did he know Jesus had been doing miracles? They saw them, right? They harao them. They saw them with their eyes. <coughs> Excuse me. So, I harao your miracles. I saw them with my eyes. And I ado, understand, that means you come from God. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he cannot ado, see with understanding, the kingdom of God. I ado... That you're from God, Nicodemus says. I see with understanding. And uh, God, Jesus says, you can't ado. With under, you can't see with understanding. Unless you're born again. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again? When he's old, can he enter his second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one's born of water and the Spirit, physically, and the Spirit, panuma here, in Greek, panuma. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. How can you enter a kingdom if you can't see with understanding? How can you enter a spiritual kingdom unless you see with understanding? It would be impossible. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, physical, water. That which is born of the panuma, spirit, is panuma, spirit. Do not marvel, I said to you, you must be born again. The panuma blows. Panuma is a word the Greeks use for spirit and for wind. Something that's real, but you can't harao it. You can't see it with your eyes. The wind blows, the panuma blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, you know it's there, but you cannot harao it. You can't see it with your eyes. So everyone who's born of the Spirit, you can know it's there, you can ado it, you can see with understanding that there's been born in the Spirit, but you can't harrow it, you can't see it with your eyes because it's in the spiritual realm. And Nicodemus says to him, how can this be? And Jesus says, you're the teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Last time I went through this, I showed that the Old Testament is full of verses that talk about the causality of whatever's happening there 
uh, that, that is of God to be powered by the Spirit. Not my might, not my power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. That's an Old Testament verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus says, we speak what we, Edo, see with understanding. Remember, Nicodemus came and said, I, Edo, your, I harao your miracles I saw with my eyes, and I, Edo, that I saw with understanding you came from God. Jesus says, you can't, Edo, see with understanding unless you're born again. And now Jesus says, I speak what I ado, know with understanding, and testify what we have harao, seen with our own eyes. And you do not receive our witness. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who's in heaven. So now Jesus is saying, the reason I can tell you about the panuma, the Spirit, that you can only hear, but you can't see. You can only sense it's there, but you can't hurrah it with your eyes. Is because I myself have hurrah I've seen it with my eyes. So how can a human see the wind? How can a human see the Spirit? We can't, but Jesus has. How did He do that? He's God. And where did He come from? You see what he's telling Nicodemus here? I'm telling you something I've seen with my own eyes. I've seen the Spirit of God with my own eyes because I came from heaven. Yeah, you got to kind of feel for Nicodemus a little bit here. I don't think he bargained for this when he came. Why does God always stretch us? Huh? Why does he always do this? You want to know some, and so he really stretches you. Why would he do that? Well, we'll get to that. And so, then that begs the question, well, if you're God, and you're in heaven, and you've seen the Spirit, why in the world did you come down here to be a man? He answers that in the next two verses. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He's only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. Nicodemus, I am God. I have seen harao with my eyes, the Spirit. That's something humans can't do. But I've done it because I'm God. And I'm coming down and I'm telling you these things so you can ado, so you can see with understanding. And the key to that is believing. And that's how you're born again. Believe on me. Well, what is this serpent in the wilderness? The children of Israel wandering in the wilderness and they disobeyed and judgment came upon them condemnation the condemnation was snakes ever seen snakes in the bible before garden of eden right the agency through which the fall took place well now this is the agency of death they're venomous snakes and they're biting people and they're dying Moses prays to God God says, well, uh, put a bronze snake on a pole, still used as a sign for medicine today. Put a bronze snake on a pole, lift it up, 
And whoever, and tell the people, whoever looks on this will be saved. Saved from what? Death from? Snake. Snake bite, right? So the snakes were sent to condemn. And the pole was lifted up to save. So in this story, you've got two things. You've got condemnation, you've got salvation. And Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. I'm going to be lifted up. So whoever has enough faith to look, hurrah Just look. Just have enough faith to say, if I look, I'll be delivered. That's all it takes. That's enough belief. You'll have eternal life. Because I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. I came to be lifted up. A lot packed in this little this little conversation with Nicodemus. Well, that's great. So we have eternal life. So we know that that means you're born again and you're going to heaven. So that should be it, right? According to kind of traditional evangelical thought, that's it. That's all we care about. Get the ticket, get in. It's the Willy Wonka theology. Just get the ticket, get into the mansion. That's all that matters. But look what he goes on and says, He who believes in him is not condemned, for he who does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth may come to light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they may be done in God. So here we are. We're being born. What kind of deeds are involved with being born? Huh? Nothing, nothing. You You just kind of show up. You don't even remember. Anybody remember being born? Yeah, you just don't even know it happened to you, right? You kind of wake up a couple years later, kind of aware, hey, something's going on here. There's this lady. I've seen her before. Uh, You you don't even have any memory of it because we don't have anything to do with it. There's no deeds associated with that. But but So we're talking about birth, and now all of a sudden we're talking about deeds. So what's going on here? And this is, I think, the, the biggest confusion in evangelical theology is the relationship between birth and deeds. Now, uh, we started with the the basic question of um, uh, eating. So we we eat to live. Now, does anyone ever come to a meal at home or in a restaurant and think to yourself something along the lines of, I'm already born, why am I doing this? This isn't going to get me born. I'm already born. What in the world am I doing here? Anybody ever have that thought? I'm wasting my time. I should just use my time more productively. What am I doing here? It's just this, all this effort goes into this stuff on the plate. You're looking at me like, that's crazy, right? But that's what we do in theology all the time. We get mixed up what food is about. Food is not for being born, it's for living. So now what I'm going to spend most of my time on today is the question, what is eternal life? And I'm going to tell you, eternal life is three things. Eternal life is a gift. Eternal life is a relationship. 
and eternal life is a reward. Now let's just think about this for a minute. Let's think about physical life. Is physical life a gift? It is, isn't it? Who gave you physical life? God and my parents. Yeah, God and your parents, right? You just showed up. They gave it to you. You have anything to do with that? You're a planner. (laughs) Any planning involved in that? Not on your part. Maybe on your parents' part. Maybe not. We don't know. We don't get into that. Well, okay, yeah, that's right, all right. That's right, you had to share your gift with somebody else and with your twin, yeah. Okay, so it's a gift. Life is a gift. Is life a relationship? It's all kinds of relationships, right? That's what life is, man. If somebody goes off all by themselves and lives in total solitary confinement, uh, which does happen occasionally, but not really. Even the hermits lived in a community with themselves. Uh, we tend to think of somebody like that as exceedingly strange. Because life is about relationships. It's interactivity. Is life a reward? Is it a great benefit to be alive? Always? See... It depends, right, whether life is a reward. What does it mainly depend on? It mainly depends on your your choices. But you know, you could be born in a real awful place, like Stalin's Soviet Union, be thrown in a gulag for nothing that you did. Is life still a gift? Kind of depends on your attitude toward it, doesn't it? So, so life is a... I'm sorry, is life a reward? I, was, I got off. Is life still a reward? Life's always a gift. Yeah, it kind of depends on your approach. So spiritual life is the same way. Spiritual life is a gift. Jesus is real clear here. Have enough faith to look on me, lifted up. Because all of us have poison in us, don't we? We got bit by a snake. What's, what's the poison called? Sin. Death. We're born into it. And to be delivered from that, we have to have enough faith to look. That's it. That's all it takes to be born again. Simple, simple, simple. We have nothing to do with it. It's the easiest thing in the world. But now that we're alive, the question is, are we going to live a rewarding life or not? And are we going to have effective relationships or destructive relationships? That's the question. It's not a question of birth. It's a question of life. And eternal life is all these things. Let me show you this. Let's look at John 17. John chapter 17. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry. So he's about to go into his passion. And he's praying. This is a, a really fascinating chapter where we get to listen in on him talking to his father. So Jesus spoke these words, lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you've given him authority over all flesh that he should, what? Give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So eternal life, it's a gift. And this is eternal life. That they may know 
you. It's a relationship. And life at its root is a relationship with God. Let me show you the very first usage of no, gnosko is the Greek word there in the New Testament. Go to Matthew 1, verse 25. Matthew 1, 25. Let's start in 24. Then Joseph, this is Joseph and Mary, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife. So Mary is already pregnant, but he goes ahead and takes her as wife, even though that's against Jewish custom. And did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. Did not have physical intimacy with her, sexual intercourse with her. That's the first usage of this word in the New Testament. Eternal life is to know God in the most intimate possible ways. Now, you know, sexual intercourse uh, is used in coarse and horrible ways, rape, prostitution. There's no real relationship there. It's more of, a, of an abuse. So it's not the act itself that is at play here. We're not talking about sexual intercourse. We're told that something much better than that is, replaces it in the new earth. What we're talking about here is the intimacy of a husband and wife. There's nothing more intimate. And that's what he's saying here. That this is eternal life that you know God. Now, even in physical life, the most rewarding part of life is what we do together. and and, And the things we do. If you do something really amazing and can't share it with somebody, it just kind of is the pits. Um, I love the book Robinson Crusoe. If you have a teenage child, you should read that book, The Unabridged, out loud to your child and talk to them about it. It's awesome. And it's a story about a teenage kid, or a, yeah, a teenager, 18-year-old, has these godly parents that really pray for him and want him to just live a a godly life and he decides I'm going to go off and live my own way and I'm going to be a sailor and live a worldly life breaks his mom's heart so he goes off as a sailor and it's shipwrecked and he ends up on an island all by himself now it turns out this island is a virtual paradise it's got everything anybody could want so he's free to do whatever he wants to and he's the king of his world and he hates it and why does he hate it He's alone. He can't share it with anybody. He's the Olympic champion of every sport. He's the king. He's the president. He's the head of the Rotary Club. He's the chairman of the Boy Scouts. He's everything. It's not any fun. There's no other people there. And then something really bad happens. And he, so he kind of gets to the point. He repents, comes back to God starts realizing his own pro- his main problem is himself, begins walking in a real happy uh, peace and a, a self-awareness and a repentant life. And then something really bad happens. He starts having massive trouble because you know what happens? People show up. Cannibals. And that's his life, isn't it? People are, relationships are greatest reward, but there's cannibals. There's people that want to eat us. 
And they're also our biggest problem. But God's never a cannibal. So the the real root of eternal life is this relationship with God. This is eternal life to know God. Now let's go back to Nicodemus. Can you know other people if you're not born? It's just not possible, right? You have to actually be alive. And he tells Nicodemus, you can't see with understanding. You cannot enter this kingdom. Is a kingdom... What's what's the main attribute of a kingdom? King. King. Just. Robinson Crusoe was king. People. It's mainly people, right? If you have a great land and it's uninhabited, what do we call that? Kingdom? Wilderness. We call that a wilderness, right? Uh, or if it happened to have been inhabited and it, now it's uh, abandoned, we call it a ghost town or a, or a ruin. We don't call it a kingdom. A kingdom, the main thing about kingdom is people. And, and the reason the king matters is because the king is organizing and giving life or death to that, to that community. So this, it's this relationship and it starts with, this is eternal life. And it starts with being born and having the ability to ADO, see with understanding, and enter into this community and then the life begins to happen as we get to come to know God. Now he goes on in this prayer and he says, I'm praying for them, but I'm praying for everybody that comes after them. Jesus prayed for all of us that we would be one. Uh, look in verse uh, 11. I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those who you've given me that they may be one as we were. And then he goes on, he, he, he prays that for us as well. Oneness, knowledge, intimacy, that's what, that's what Mary, uh, uh, Matthew 1 was talking about with Mary and Joseph. Oneness. Physical intimacy is a picture of spiritual intimacy. And this is one of our greatest reward opportunities. So when we... Uh, do the commands of the Scripture, bear with one another's burdens, forgive one another, love one another. We're building this one, oneness among one another and we're coming... To, this is eternal life because that's only possible as we walk with God. And as we walk with God, we come to know God. It's this gift. It's a relationship, just like physical life. It's also a reward or not. Let's look at Romans chapter 2. Eternal life. Romans chapter 2. Verse 5. He's talking here to people who uh, say one thing and do another. Judge others about things they do themselves. Who who all does that include in in, uh, the world, by the way? Judging others for something you do. It's everybody, right? That's all of us do that. Okay, so he says, here's what you have coming for to you, verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So now we're talking not just about this present life. Can, can we be born again in this present life? Yes, of course. Can we have eternal life and come, through coming to know God in this present life? Yes, of course. Now we're talking about something in the judgment to come. Um, so you're treasuring up for your, by judging others for, for something you do yourself. You're treasuring up wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. 
And here's what he gives, according to deeds. Eternal life goes to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. So what's the reward for seeking to do good? Eternal life. Now, how is it that eternal life is a gift, just just have enough faith to look, and eternal life is a relationship, this is eternal life to come to know God. How can it also be a reward for good deeds? How is that possible? It's a relationship. It's coming to know someone. How do you get it as a reward for good deeds? Well, look what it is you're doing when you do these good deeds. What are you seeking? You're seeking three things. What is, what is it? Glory. glory, honor, and immortality. How often do we say as Christians, Christianity is all about seeking glory? You ever hear that? Why? It says it right here. Why do we not hear that? It's usually bad. It's usually bad. Why? Seeking it for yourself. Oh, and look what the very next thing is. But indignation, oh sorry, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. We usually think of the word seeking glory as being self-seeking. Why do we think it that way? Because that's normally what we do, right? Okay. So what are we supposed to do here? How do you seek glory in a way that leads to eternal life? From From God. You seek it from God. So eternal life is to know God. To get eternal life as a reward, we seek to gain glory from God. What does it mean to to gain glory from God? How does glory work? If you get glory from men, how does that work? They recognize you. Is there anything in the Bible about God recognizing us? Yeah, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my... I won't recognize you. If you recognize me before men, I'll recognize you before my father. Hey, Dad, I want to tell tell you what Joe did for me. Let's put it up on the jumbotron so everybody can see. You think, you think God has a jumbotron bigger than Jerry World's? <laughs> yeah, I, I want... This is, this is God saying, well done. I, I want to recognize you. You did awesome. You think there's any knowing God involved in doing something for Him to such a way that He would recognize you? Because serving God in this world is a struggle. You see how it's all interwoven? Well, how do you seek honor from God? Same thing, right? How do you seek immortality from God? What is that about? What is immortality? This is a reward. As everybody's going to live forever, right? What, what are we talking about here, immortality? Yeah, your name. How, how, do we, how do we try to give immortality in this life? It happens all around us. Put your name on a brick. Name on a brick. Name a stadium. Okay. Uh, do you know who Kyle Fields named after? Mr. Kyle. Does anybody know? Does anybody know Mr. Kyle? Who he is? Where he came from? I have no idea who Mr. Kyle is. I know the name Kyle, but I don't know who it is. So, how good does this work? This memorialization. 
Yeah, it lasts for, I mean, you should, typically you have it named after you kind of at the end of your life, and then a few years later, nobody remembers. It's just Kyle Field. But in the heavenly administration, there's going to be a remembrance. Nobody forgets because they're going to know. They're going to know you, and they're going to know God, and they're going to remember. You know why I know that? Because the Bible tells us. And Jesus says, if you'll do this for me, I'll put a pillar in the temple. Nobody's ever going to forget. So as we do these good deeds, which only can be done in service and obedience to God, we get to know God. And we're actually building eternal life now, coming to know God now. And we're getting a reward now. Let me show you. uh, Let's see. Do I have that written down? I don't have it written down. I can't remember where the verse is. But when the rich young ruler comes and says, Hey, I want eternal life. Which, by the way, I think he's mainly talking about now, in this present life when he says that. Because Jesus says, well, obey all the commands. And he says, well, I've done all that. And he looks at him and loves him, Mark passage says, and says, well, you lack one thing. Sell everything, come follow me. And he goes away sad. And Jesus says, man, for people that trust in riches, it's impossible for them to enter the kingdom. Because you can't serve God in money. And if you're not serving God, can you come to know God? can't really do it. So you can have the gift. I mean, you can be born. There's nothing involved in born. There's no deeds involved in being born. But if you're going to have the reward of life and the relationship of life, you can't. if you're going to trust money and seek glory from other people, you can't, it just doesn't happen. You've, you, you're losing those two benefits of eternal life. So at the end of that, uh, the... the uh, Disciples who it says are amazed by this teaching because the way they thought about it, eternal life means getting even more stuff. Okay, the prosperity gospel and all that, it was alive and well at that time. So they said, well, how can anybody get in? He said, well, they can't really actually. If you're rich, you can't get in on your own, but you, through God everything's possible. But I, And they said, well, we left everything and follow you. What do we get? <laughs> And Jesus says, well, you're, you're going to get to rule the 12 tribes of Israel, which is what they wanted. Uh, you're going to have to be martyred first, but, you know, that's small price to pay. Uh, but I'll tell you this, he says, no one gives up anything for me. Money, mothers, brothers, sisters, houses, money, land. Yeah, I think that's it. Mothers, brothers, sisters, houses, money, land. But that I'll pay them back a hundredfold in this life. So you lose your mother because of follow, but for following me, he says. So if you lose your mother for following me, what does he promise you'll get back in this life? A hundred mothers. Now how does, that, how does that work? Well, what is eternal life? It's a gift and relationship. The body. I've, I've seen this happen, uh, where you all of a sudden got all these mothers around you when you need them. Uh, it's happening to M- Micah right now, isn't it? <laughs> and she still has her mother. Okay, So, uh, mothers, brothers, sisters, houses, money, land. I've got to go to people's property. Amazing things. I've, I've gotten to go to places that I, I would never think of owning because people invited me because I was their friend. Um, you know, this is part of the benefit of life. And he says, a hundredfold in this life, and in the age to come, eternal life. 
Because when we walk with God and endure the tribulations of this world that come along with it, we come to know God, and somehow that compounds into the next world in a way we're told about, but we're also told we can't really comprehend it. It's, but it is a big deal. So, eternal life is a reward. I'm sorry, it's a gift. It's a relationship. It's a reward. So let me just uh, focus in on these two words, eternal and life, real quick. First, let me do eternal. It's the Greek word aionios, A-O-N-I-O-S, and it doesn't mean uh, infinity. Okay, We tend to think of, because of our Greek mindset, eternal means you know, the figure eight sign, forever, no beginning, no end. That word does not mean that. It never means infinity. It can mean from now on. But it can also just mean a period of time. Let's look at Romans 16.25, and I'll show you this. Romans 16.25. So Romans 16:25 Now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world Ionios Okay so they the translators here have translated that began but I think, uh, uh, I like the way Young's literal translate it. Every time the word Ionios pops up, he's, he puts in the phrase, to the age. To the age. So the context will determine what age we're talking about. And it seems clear to me some of the times we're talking about the age that goes all the way into the new earth. And we may be talking about the new age beginning at the judgments of Christ and going into the new earth. And we may be talking about the age beginning at the first of uh, the Garden of Eden and through the end of the world. You just have to kind of use your context to determine the age is. When do you think Aeonios in John 3 begins? The age. What age are we talking about in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus? He must be born again. Huh? The beginning. beginning. Starts at the beginning. What's the beginning? When you're born again. Yeah, what's the beginning of the uh, Brian Age? You you got Iron Age, Bronze Age, Brian Age. What was the beginning of the Brian Age? Yeah, when you were born, right? That was your beginning of your age. When is that going to end? When is there not going to be a Brian anymore? (laughs) Well, it's... You know, it's not going to end, right? It's, it's, well, at some point in this world, yeah, there'll be an age for the Brian age in this body, and then there'll be another age. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing here. Eternal life begins with our spiritual birth, and then we have a life on this earth, and then we have another life at the end. And there's relationships in this life, and those relationships and the quality of them are going to depend on what? What's it going to depend on? Quality of relationships in this world. What's it going to depend on? Us. Yeah, what's it mainly going to depend on you doing? You yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to have one kind of relationship if you're serving others, and you're going to have another set of relationships if you make everything about yourself. Right? What kind of relationships are you going to have if you make everything about yourself? Yeah, you know, convenience. You're going to have uh, 
Relationships of Convenience. There's a great John Grisham uh, book called The Testament. And it starts with this uber-rich guy. And he's got tons of relationships. And all of them revolve around one thing. They all want his money. That's all it is. And he just hates his life. So, uh, he has one relative that's never grubbed at, you know, grubbed for his money. And it's a missionary for New Tribes Missions, niece. And so he wills everything over to her and jumps off of his balcony. And the whole rest of the book is about all the suits and everything to try to overturn the will <laughs> from the grubbers. Okay? So... Uh, that's a really good insight, I think, into the misery that a life of, of just uh, uh, relationships of convenience is. But the, the alternative is when we are part of something together and we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Now, I've, I've, I've been involved with that multiple times. I'm involved in it now. And it's really difficult. The, it's, the thing I'm involved in is, is really painful. Uh, and some of the other people kind of on my team have experienced a lot more pain and isolation than I have, uh, even being threatened with jail and things like this for, for nothing they've done just because they made somebody mad. Uh, and uh, it's really, it's hard. I mean, it's really difficult to go through. But I have a tremendous bond with these people because uh, we're on the same team. We're doing something bigger than ourselves. Uh, you might have even experienced something like that on a sports team or uh, when you've gone through a particular time of trial and people uh, pull around you and you walk through that trial together. This is eternal life. And it's the aeonios, is the eternal is this age that starts with your birth and then it goes on with multiple different uh, uh, dimensions. Then life is the word zoe. And let me show you something that's really interesting. Let's go to John 12. In John chapter 12, there's a contrast between zoe and psyche or psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E. Psyche is the right way to say it, apparently. So zoe, you know anybody named Zoe? Zoe, that's a life. You know anybody named psych or psycho? You know, a psychologist? Yeah, a psychologist has their life... They they spend their world in the thought life of other people, right? The personality and the essence of that person. Don't spend any time in the morgue. Okay, because psyche means you're alive. And zoe is all about the quality of that life. So let's look at uh, this uh, John 12 in in, uh, verse 25. He who loves his psuche, life, will lose it. And he who hates his psuche, life, in this world, will keep it for eternal zoe. He who loves his psuche, his physical life, will lose his physical life. But he who hates his physical life will keep it for eternal life. So in other words... I'm going to paraphrase this. If you make everything about yourself, you'll lose yourself. If you make everything about serving God, you get everything you ever want. You've seen this happen, haven't you? 
on small scale. So what we're talking about here, eternal life, we're talking about the Zoe. You know, everybody, believer, non-believer, exists for all of eternity. Have you ever thought about that? And everybody goes to heaven, quote-unquote, when they die, right? Where's the, where's the great white throne judgment? All the, all the people that didn't receive Jesus. It's in heaven. Everybody's there. Uh, the difference is their relationship. Because eternal life's a relationship. And if they don't have a relationship, they can't know God. And that's the beginning of the end. Uh, just a few other things. Let's go to John chapter 6. And we might call this the life chapter of John. John chapter 6, starting in verse 27. These uh, people come to him and say, Hey, if you're the Messiah, feed us manna. Like they did in the wilderness. That'd be really cool. We wouldn't have to farm anymore. It'd be awesome. Chicken in every pot. Well, I'll take money from other people and give it to you. Okay? Every, everybody likes a kingdom. He's, he's got a political platform, a kingdom platform. He's like, okay, we'll just start feeding us then. And Jesus says... Um, Most assuredly, I say to you, verse 26, I'm in here, you seek me not because you saw the signs, the miracles, because you ate the loaves and were filled. You like to eat, and you didn't have to work for it. That's why you're really following me. But I'm telling you this, don't labor for the food that perishes. Okay, now why do we eat? It's necessary, right? It's a necessary part of life. Does eating make you born? Does, do, do you have to look at someone and say, yeah, I just don't know if that person's born or not. I've got to see how they eat. If they eat good, it means they're, bo- they're born again. If they eat junk food, they probably weren't born. Is that, does that make any sense? It doesn't even make any sense, right? Being born again doesn't have anything to do with our deeds. It has to do with having enough faith to look. So he's saying, you want to eat, but don't labor for the food that perishes. We don't labor to be born. What do we labor to do? Live. Is eating takes work, doesn't it? Somebody's work. Don't labor for the food which perishes, but the food that endures to everlasting life. Zoe. Which the Son of Man will give you. It's a gift. Because God the Father set his seal on him. Then they said, well, what shall we do that you may work the works of God? And he said, this is the work of God. You believe in him who he sent. It starts with belief. Does, does the, work of, does the, does the uh, walk with God just start with belief? It's from faith to faith, right? It begins with belief and it has belief all the way through. Then in verse 30, they said, well, what sign will you perform that we may see and believe you? He's already healed people and turned, uh, you know, five loaves and two fishes in, but it's not enough. What what do do people always want? What are you going to do for me now, right? And Jesus says in verse 32, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses didn't give the bread from heaven. Did Moses make the manna come down? No, my father did that. And he gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, good, give that to us always. And Jesus says, it's me. I'm the bread of life, Zoe. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. 
For what? Zoe. Life. This is eating. What do you eat to have Zoe? The Word of Jesus. The life of Jesus. But I say to you, you've seen me, yet you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I'll by no means cast out. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he's given me I should lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of them who sent me, who everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Zoe's a gift. Just enough, enough faith to look. It's given as a gift. So then they said, the Jews complained, he said, because he said, I'm the bread that came down to heaven. He said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father. How can he say, I came down from heaven? We know he was born right there in Bethlehem. And Jesus answered and said, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written of the prophets, they'll all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who's heard and learned what the father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the father except who's from God. He has seen the father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which come down from heaven. Anyone who eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread I'll give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And then the Jews quarreled among themselves and said, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Is he a cannibal? What's going on here? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. My blood abides in me and I in him. Verse 57, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of my Father. All these words are zoe. So he who feeds on me, I will live, Zoe, because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever, Zoe. So what we're talking about here is is something that never ends. This is not just here, but it is here, but it goes on forever. Therefore many of his disciples heard this and said, Who can understand this? And Jesus, knowing his disciples complained about this, says, does this offend you? Do these things offend you, really? Well, then what's going to happen if I go back to heaven? See, they had all this earthly stuff. You're a king, you're going to be here on earth, you're going to fix the Romans, you're going to give us food, everything's going to be all better. Well, if I die and go to heaven, then what are you going to say? Because he's trying to get across to them, I'm giving you spiritual life, not physical comfort. Verse 63, it is the spirit, the penuma, that gives life, zoe, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life, zoe. So then many of them go away and don't follow him anymore. And he turns to his disciples, the close ones, the twelve, and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And in John, we're told he wrote the whole book so we could believe and have life in his name. Is life in his name just about being born? It's about living. 
He's told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All these words are zoe. The words and the commands of God are life, zoe. I am the resurrection and the life. These are all verses from John, zoe. I came to give you life, zoe, and life abundantly. I'm the light of the world and the light of life, zoe. We eat to stay alive, physically. We eat the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, the words of Christ, the commandments of Christ, to have zoe. And as we love one another, focus on the needs of others, serve others, do unto others, put, put the commandments of God above ourselves, forgive, bear one another's burdens, as we do those things... We are eating. And as we eat, we're getting life. And that life compounds into the knowledge of God, which is everlasting life, and into a reward of hearing well done, which gives us life eternal. And it all starts with seeing and understanding. Being born again. Thank you, God, for an amazing... uh, opportunity to eat what you've given us so that we may live, not just exist, but live with great purpose and fulfillment. Pray that we'll have the faith to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.